Well, this morning, as we continue our approach to the celebration of Christmas, I would like you to turn, if you have a Bible with you, to the very first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. And this morning, we will look at verses 18 through 25. This morning, we are going to look at the virgin birth. And every time a pastor preaches on the virgin birth at Christmas time, he fears one thing, and that is you've heard it all before. And I just would encourage all of us, including myself this morning, to guard against complacency. Some of the things I will share with you this morning you have heard before. You have heard them preached before, but this is an absolutely critical teaching in our faith, a critical truth in our faith, and we need to take the essential truth of the Christian faith and we need to learn it again and again and again until the day we die. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would give all of us a real tenderness toward his truth. In Matthew 1, Matthew writes this in verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Well, our first point this morning is a controversial truth. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is one of the most controversial of the essential fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith. Throughout the whole history of the church, it has been one of the most mocked and belittled truths of all the Christian faith. The critics and the skeptics of Christianity have long said this is unprovable. This virgin birth, unscientific, it's hard for anyone with any kind of academic or intellectual background to accept a virgin birth. They have written it off as a myth, as legend, as ancient folklore. There are all kinds of theories that abound saying that the virgin birth of Christianity is simply borrowed from other birth narratives, from other religions. And so it is important that we understand why we believe this and why it is important. 
But to begin with, I want you to think of the Bible as a whole, the context of all Scripture. There are several miraculous births that are recorded for us in the Bible. We think of the birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was born as part of the promise or part of the fulfillment of the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham and Sarah were well, well beyond childbearing years, and yet God told them that they would have a son. And Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. It was a miraculous birth. We think of the birth of Samson, an angel of the world. An angel of the Lord came to a man named Manoah and to his wife. His wife was barren. She had been unable to bear children. But the angel of the Lord told them that they were going to have a boy, a son, and that he would deliver Israel at that time. He would be a judge of Israel. And indeed, Samson was born, and at least for a period, he delivered Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. We think of the birth of Samuel. Samuel was Israel's last judge. He was their first great prophet. He was the anointer of kings. And he was born in answer to the faithful, persevering prayers of his godly mother, Hannah. She fervently cried out and begged the Lord for a child. And Samuel was born, and Samuel continues to do to this day, to be one of the greatest figures in all of the history of Israel. We think of the birth of John the Baptist. John was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth when they were in their older years. An angel of the Lord comes to Zechariah while he is serving in the temple and tells him that his wife is going to have a son. And it is believed that Elizabeth was probably in her late 60s or early 70s when John was born. And he became the forerunner of the Messiah. He he became the one who would pave the way for the coming of the Lord. These were all miraculous. The hand of the Lord was upon all of these men. But none of these special births was as amazing as the virgin birth of the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So our second point this morning is a simple and straightforward passage. Matthew gives us a straightforward description of how the virgin birth of Jesus Christ came about. In verse 18, he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed, to Joseph. Now, as you know, Mary and Joseph were a very young Jewish couple. Well, we don't know exactly. It is believed by most that Mary was in her early teens, Joseph in his later teens. So they were a very young couple, and they were betrothed. They were engaged. But a betrothal in the Hebrew culture at this time was very different than engagement as we think of it today. When a young couple would become betrothed or engaged, they were considered by the society and the culture to be legally married. You were legally married when you were engaged, when you were betrothed, even though 
it was often up to a year before you would have your marriage ceremony and the marriage would be consummated. And that period of betrothal was very important. It was a time where you would prove your fidelity to one another. It was a time when you would, before God, commit yourself to sexual purity. It was a time when you thought seriously that I am going to give myself to this man or to this woman and I am going to be faithful to them, to him, to her, for the rest of my life. But then we read in the last part of verse 18, before they came together, before they had sexual relations, Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting. Matthew doesn't give us the details of how it happened. He simply says it happened. Mary, this young teenage girl, was found to be with child. She was pregnant. And she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Matthew just simply says it happened. And it's interesting that the brief, clear statements of this particular passage of Scripture actually gives great credibility to the text. Matthew doesn't go into a long explanation. Well, this is how it happened. He simply says it happened. Now, if this were a human writer writing of his own accord, he would have given a long, detailed explanation defending the virgin birth, anticipating the criticisms of those who would not agree with him, but he doesn't. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he simply says this is what happened. And folks, there are some great truths of our faith that we are simply asked to believe with the faith of a child. We think of creation. God created the universe by speaking it into existence from nothing. We think of the Trinity, one God in three persons. Beyond the comprehension of our finite human minds, and yet we believe it, we know it's, a tr- we know it's true and we know it's essential. Think of salvation itself. That when a person receives Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells their soul, unites with their spirit, and regenerates them. They are born again. They are born of the Spirit of God. They become a new creation. They are recreated. We don't know exactly how it all happens, but it happens. And sometimes I have to read the pages of Scripture to find out what happened to me. But it happened. I don't understand it all, but I believe it. And so it is with the virgin birth. Now the Bible tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. The ESV, the English Standard Version, has he was a just man. Some have righteous man, some have just man. It's the same thing. In verse 19 it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. When he learned of Mary's pregnancy, Joseph was left with a great dilemma. Now, some of you may know that in the past, I have done a number of sermons in past Christmas seasons just on the incredible faith of Joseph. Here is a young man who is asked to believe the incredible, the astounding, the amazing. But before he gets 
to that part. He is faced with this great problem. He has had no relations with the woman to whom he is betrothed, and she's pregnant. She has a baby. And first, he knew he couldn't go through with the wedding because he wasn't the father. He knew he wasn't the father. Second, he had to decide how to do the right thing. How do you do the right thing with someone that you love dearly? He tenderly, emotionally loved Mary. What was he to do? She was with child, and they had never had relations. So he wanted to do the right thing while bringing Mary the least amount of disgrace. And so the Bible tells us that his decision was to quietly, secretly divorce her. Under the Old Testament law, she technically could have been stoned. He could have made it very public in his hurt and shame, his own wounds, and embarrassed her. But that's not what he chose to do. He resolved, the Bible says, to divorce her quietly. And that is how he was going to proceed. Well, the Lord in his mercy chose to reveal his plan to Joseph in a dream. In verse 20, it says, But as he considered these things, as he considered what to do to divorce Mary quietly, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. This is so interesting, that God in his sovereignty and in his providence in the unfolding revelation that we now call the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, that God chose to reveal his truth in different ways to different people, for different purposes, sometimes only known to the counsel of God himself. When he came, or when he announced the birth of Samson, he came to Manoah and his wife. The angel of the Lord actually visibly appeared to them. Same thing with Zechariah when he was in serving in the temple and announced the birth of John the Baptist. But here he comes to Joseph in a dream. It appears this is a very in a sense, we could say confidential. God comes to this young man and speaks to him through the angel of the Lord and tells him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. Joseph, don't be afraid to take your betrothed one, your wife. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And again, I want you to notice that the statement that the angel makes to Joseph is simple and concise. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived is in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a big wow. Okay, Joseph, I don't want you to be afraid to take her as your wife because the baby in her womb is from the Holy Spirit. Not a lot of hoopla. Not a long explanation. The angel simply states the truth to him. How different than when the birth of Christ is announced to the shepherds and angelic beings fill the, the sky, not here. This was a very quiet, confidential message to Joseph 
from God. And the angel reveals not only what happened, but why it happened. In verse 21, he says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, the baby in Mary's womb, is not only from the Holy Spirit, but she is going to bear a son, and you are to call him a very specific name. You are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua or Jeshua or Jehoshua. It means to save from sin. And he was to give the baby the name Jesus because he would save his people, the Jewish people, Israel, from their sins. So what is happening here is the angel is saying to this young man, not only is your wife with child from the Holy Spirit, but the he, excuse me, the child is the Messiah. It's the anointed one. It's the long-expected one that we just sang about this morning. Mary is going to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. And Joseph, he is going to save your people not from the oppression of the Romans, but from their own sins. Well, Matthew then adds a very important footnote. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This wasn't some just haphazard occurrence. This didn't just happen. It was planned in ages past. It is the fulfillment of the prophet's words about the coming Messiah. And so he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. And so it begs the question to the reader, what prophecy is he talking about? What prophet is he talking about? Well, it was Isaiah's prophecy. It was Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And in verse 23, Matthew quotes that prophecy. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, it is interesting. If you were to go back and you were to read through the prophecy of Isaiah, which I'm sure some of you have. If you were to read through chapter 7, you would be a little bit puzzled about how this is the foretelling of the coming of the Messiah. Because in this prophecy, there is both a near future and far future fulfillment. The near future fulfillment was actually fulfilled in Isaiah's day, but the far future fulfillment was yet to come. But what is important for us this morning is Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes very, very clear to us in the truth of Scripture that this prophecy pertains to the Messiah, that this prophecy pertains to the birth of Jesus. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so through Matthew's inspired writing, every Christian has come to understand that this prophecy was given to predict and foretell the coming of the chosen one, the coming of the Messiah. 
And the prophecy tells us two important things. A very special son would be born to a virgin, and the special son would be God. So the prophet said, a son would be born to a virgin, and he will be Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew wants you, as his reader, to know in this unfolding drama that God is about to come into the world, that God himself is about to dwell among men, that God is entering planet Earth. He is coming into the world. But before we go on, I want to mention something else. Please don't miss the fact that when Joseph woke up from his dream, he immediately set out to obey God. Look at verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I just want you to think about this with me, with your sanctified imaginations. This is a young man, probably 18, 19 years old, somewhere in that area. He wakes up from this incredible dream where the angel of the Lord has spoken to him and he immediately obeys. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus in obedience to the word the angel had spoken to him. He took Mary home as his wife. He had no relations, no union with her until after she gave birth. And he gave the baby boy the name that he was told to give him. So he completely obeys and names the child Jesus. Well, that brings us to our third point this morning, the importance of the virgin birth. I can tell you all of those things this morning. I can explain the text to you. But why is it important? Every Christian must think carefully about the virgin birth and ask, why is it important? Every one of us must ask ourselves, why is the virgin birth important? I'm going to give you three primary reasons. There are more than three that could be given. But I want to give you three reasons why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. First, Only through the virgin birth could Jesus be both God and man. Jesus stands, did stand, and continues to stand as the perfect God-man. 100% God, 100% man, equally at the same time. We call it the hypostatic union. He is the perfect God-man the one who came to save us from our sins and to continue to minister to us, to act as our prophet and as our priest and as our king. And this could only happen through a virgin birth because, you see, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and placed the child in a human young woman's womb. And she through the normal process of pregnancy, a human pregnancy, gives birth to the child. So he comes from God and is born of a woman. 
comes from God, is born of a woman. Therefore, he becomes the perfect God-man, or he is the perfect God-man. Second, only through the virgin birth could Jesus live a sinless human life. Jesus did not have a human father. So, the seed of Joseph was not passed on to Jesus because from the seed of man comes the sin nature. And so the sin nature that we all have this morning was never passed on to Jesus, which enabled him through a virgin birth overshadowed by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a young woman. It enabled him to live a perfect and sinless life in perfect obedience to the law of Moses, fulfilling every aspect of it, doing for us what we could never do. He was the perfect Lamb of God. Third, only through the virgin birth could Jesus be the perfect sacrifice for man's sin. Only through the virgin birth. Because he lived a sinless life, that he was, could live because he had no sin nature. He lives a sinless life, and when he comes to the cross, he is the perfect Lamb of God. He does not need to die for his own sins because he had no sin. So he is able to die for your sins. He is able to die for my sins. Our sins were transferred to the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice of God, so that he could die in our place and endure our wrath, condemnation, and judgment, and then be raised victoriously from the dead so that in him we could have the free gift of salvation. And it is all possible because of a virgin birth. Without the virgin birth, there could be no substitutionary death and glorious resurrection. That's how important it is. So only through the virgin birth could Jesus be both God and man. Only through the virgin birth could Jesus live a sinless human life. And only through the virgin birth could Jesus be the perfect sacrifice for man's sins. Let me state it this way. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an essential foundational truth of the Christian faith. If a Christian church says we no longer believe in the virgin birth, they are no longer a Christian church. I don't care what name is on their sign. If they abandon belief in the virgin birth, they are no longer a Christian church. If a pastor, a Christian pastor, abandons belief in the virgin birth, he is no longer a Christian pastor, no matter what he calls himself. And unfortunately, that has happened many times throughout the history of the church. We become too intellectual, too academic, too astute to believe in something like the virgin birth. And when an individual Christian, when he or she abandons belief in the virgin birth, I believe it is the evidence that they were never saved in the first place. They were never born again because I do not believe that any person indwelt by the Holy Spirit would ever deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. So if they deny the virgin birth, I don't believe they were ever a Christian. 
Be careful this morning. My guess is in a crowd like we have this morning. There may be some of you here who are entertaining some doubts. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I really believe this. Folks, without the virgin birth, there is no Christian faith. And this is what I want to challenge you with this morning. Ultimately, every single person here, every single person here this morning, ultimately, you have to make the same decision that Joseph made. We either believe God or we don't believe God. We either believe this is true or we don't believe this is true. There is no middle ground on this truth. There isn't. This is one of the essentials of the Christian faith. To believe this is to be Christian. To deny it is to not be Christian. I could give you, let's say that I had a 200-page theological treatise this thick document, and I had the ushers come forward, and I had them pass it out to everyone in the auditorium this morning. The defense of the virgin birth. I encourage you to read through it. It might help, it might not. But here's my point. I could do that. But ultimately, this all comes down to believing the word of God. You either believe what the inspired, inerrant word of God says, or you don't. In a sense, a very real sense, you are just like Joseph. You either believe it, or you don't. And my point is this. If you don't believe the word of God, you're not going to believe a 200-page theological treatise. You're not. This is one of those truths that we must accept as essential critical to our faith. So I ask you as we close this morning, do you believe what the word of God says is literally true? Do you believe that before Joseph and Mary ever came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that? Do you believe that that which was conceived in her was from the Holy Spirit? Spirit, do you believe that, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son? And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Folks, without the virgin birth, there is no Christianity. Without the virgin birth, there is no salvation. And without the virgin birth, there is no such thing as Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We praise you this morning. We exalt you for the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, which allowed him to be fully God and fully man, which allowed him to live a perfect, sinless life, which allowed him to be the first perfect sacrifice for our sins. O Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for this body of believers. Give us a rock-solid, firm, undeniable belief 
in the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.